0: This is basically the results or report of a group of professionals who conducted a test of a group of children between the ages of four and eight, and they asked the kids basically one question. Tell us what love is to you. Now, I've always learned from children. I hope that I'll never stop learning from children. Certainly, this test is an eye-opener. I'm not going to read you all the samples. I'm just going to give you a sample of what he had sent me. Here's the first one. Rebecca, age 8, said, When grandma got arthritis, she could not bend over and paint her toenails anymore. So my grandpa does it for her now all the time, even when his hands have got arthritis too. That is love. Carrie, age 5, said, Love is when you go out to eat and give somebody most of your French fries without making them give you any of theirs. (laughs) Terry, age four, said, Love is what makes you smile when you're tired. Nika, age six, said, If you want to love better, you should start with a friend who you hate. (laughs) The winner was a boy, age four. The next-door neighbor, who was an elderly man, had just lost his wife. And the boy saw the man cry. So he went over into the man's yard and climbed on top of the man's lap, and he just sat there. When the boy's mother asked him, what had he said to the neighbor? And the boy said, nothing. I just helped him cry. We began the series of messages on the truth about love. And we looked at the love manifesto from 1 Corinthians 13. You can turn to it with me, 1 Corinthians 13. And we looked at the first three verses of that chapter. And there we saw how sacrificial love cannot be manufactured, that sacrificial love cannot be produced, But sacrificial love can only be shared as the love of Christ poured into our hearts be merely manifested to others. We saw that sacrificial love is only possible when you allow Christ's love to permeate your heart and your mind and every part of you. We saw that sacrificial love can only be practiced when you allow Christ to love through you. And here in 1 Corinthians 13 verses 4 and 7 the apostle Paul goes on to paint a 15 color spectrum of love. Each color reveals a one facet of the sacrificial love. The most important thing about these 15 colors that are painted in this particular verses is that in the Greek language they all verbs. Even the adjectives are in the active voice. You say, "Well, what's so big about this?" It is very big, and let me tell you why. I'll tell you what's so big about it. What the apostle Paul is trying to tell every one of us is this: that sacrificial love is not an abstract or passive concept. That sacrificial love is not a mere feelings, but it is live. It is vibrant. It is active. How is that? Well, you don't just feel patience, you practice patience. You don't just feel kindness, (laughs) you do kind acts. You don't just believe the truth, no. You delight yourself in the truth. You rejoice in the truth. You defend the truth. That's what I mean. And so today I'm going to look at 9 of the 15. Those 15 colors is like a portrait of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's look at these nine that we're going to see today. The first one, Paul says, love is what? Can you all say it? Love is? And wouldn't you know it? It's the preacher's Achilles heel. (laughs) I mean, you open the scripture, and here it is. Hits you in the face. For years, I've been working on this, and I'm not there yet. And there's one thing about honest preaching. I'll tell you something. You cannot escape the conviction of God before you bring it conviction to people. And it even gets better or worse, depending on your point of view. <laughs> when the New Testament uses the word patience, it is not patience that have to do with your being patient with your circumstances, tough circumstances. It's not being patient with events that are totally out of your control. No, no, no. In this use of the word patience, it has to do with being patient with people. I can see all of you saying, well, you know, that's not my problem. I'm patient with people. It's only Michael's problem. Well, how does it work? Some of you probably doesn't want to know how it works, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Patience is when you are inconvenienced and you still smile. (laughs) Patience is when someone takes advantage of you and your relationship with them, and you still hug their neck when you run into them in the mall. Patience is when someone takes advantage of you over and over and over more than just once and you still hug the neck. Patience is when someone betrays you or betrays confidence that you entrusted in them or you betray betrays your trust and you still buy them lunch. Patience is when you have the upper hand over a person but you don't use that upper hand and you put it behind your back. You don't use it. Patience is when you have every right, when you have every opportunity to retaliate, but you don't do it. Now, that's it. That's patience. In the Greek culture to whom the Apostle Paul was originally writing, taking revenge was considered to be a virtue. It really did. In fact, Aristotle taught that it is a virtue when you refuse to take personal insult and injury. That it is a virtue when you strike back in retaliation for the slightest offense done to you. See, vengeance was a virtue. And so comes the Apostle Paul and says, What I'm asking you to do is to go against the grain of culture. Here's where the Greek culture was going, Paul said. Go the other way. Because sacrificial love does not consider that a virtue. Sacrificial love says patience is virtue. Patience. Love is patience. And you know, patience is one of the characteristics of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you practice patience, and when you exercise patience, you are aligning yourself with the Lord Jesus. Robert Inglesall was a well-known atheist, he would go around giving speeches, promoting his atheism, and in every speech he would interrupt himself, and he would say, if there is a God, let him strike me down in the next five minutes. And he would wait for five minutes, and at the end, if nothing happens, so he says, you see, there is no God. And he would keep going. He would go lecture after lecture, place after. If there is a God, let him strike me down. And five minutes passed. And finally, a gentleman by the name of Theodore Parker said the following. He said, did the gentleman think that he could exhaust the patience of the eternal God in five minutes? (laughs) I, for one, I'm so grateful that God is patient with me. Secondly, Love is kind, Paul said. You see, these are not words that are kind of thrown, you know, one on top of the other. No, no, no. These are well-thought words. They are building steps, they follow each other for a reason. And so he said, Love is patience. Second he goes immediately, he said, Love is kind. Why? Because while patience does not pay back in kind, kindness pays back the person what that person does not deserve. Kindness is not just feeling of generosity, but it is being generous. Kindness is not just the desire to be gracious, but practice graciousness. I want you to hear me right. This is important. This is very important. You see, this is how God acted toward his children. This is God. how God acts. That's how God will act in the last day. And in, believe it or not, He can do exactly the same thing through you. He can act through you. He can act through me. The act of kindness. Listen to what Paul said in Titus 3, 4. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of righteous things that we have done, but because of His mercy. God's kindness Means that we did not get what we deserve. Let me tell you something. Every one of us deserves judgment, but we didn't get what we deserve. Hear me right on this one. Laboratory for kindness. The test tube for acts of kindness begins in the home. When kindness is ruling supreme in the home, it will rule supreme outside of the home. That's the test. Thirdly, love is not jealous. Now, this is the first of eight negative descriptions of love. First, he gave us two positive ones. He says, love is patience. Love is kindness. Now, he's going to tell us what love is not. And he begins by saying, love is not jealous. You know, Shakespeare, I think, is the one who said that jealousy is a green sickness. (laughs) And I could preach literally several sermons on this, but I want you to listen to me very carefully because so many of these things that are in this chapter, those color of the rainbow, are very, the opposite of them is respectable in our culture. Just like it was in the Greek culture. And as the Apostle Paul anticipated people through the power of the Lord Jesus Christ be able to go against the grain of culture, you and I can do that too. So let me tell you the bottom line about jealousy. Jealousy begins when a person says, I want what he has. I want what she has. But that's the first step. But jealousy never really stays there. It cannot stay there. Once it's allowed to linger in your life or mine, once it's allowed to take hold in our lives, once it's allowed to take roots in our lives, it will go to the next stage. And the next stage is, I wish that they did not have what they have. You see, the second stage of jealousy is more than just selfishness. It is the desiring of evil for someone of whom you're jealous. Now, the best way to begin dealing with jealousy is that you resolve in your mind and you accept this fact that somebody out there is better than you. (laughs) Once you get that under your belt, then you can go on to the next stage. Just get it into your head and into your spirit and into your soul that there's somebody there who's more beautiful, somebody there who's more successful, somebody there who's more talented, somebody there who's more popular. Just somebody there is going to be better than you. That's the first step. When you remember that, you go a long way toward dealing with jealousy and toward excelling in your walk with the Lord, recognizing your identity in Christ. And the only measuring stick you want to use is Jesus. Not somebody else. That's the first step. The second step is to pray for the person who is the object of your jealousy. Just pray for that person. Say, Lord Jesus, I thank you for that person. I know your teeth are going to fall, but push them back again. (laughs) When you start, it's not going to be easy, but you can try. Then begin to ask the Lord to bless the person who is the object of your jealousy. And I tell you something, you will get blessed in the process. You know, when the Apostle Paul was in prison, the people who were jealous of Paul, who were jealous of his success, who were jealous of his of, of his authority. There were a lot of preachers who were jealous of Paul, and when he went to prison, they said, "Ah, oh, now I'm glad he's in prison." That's how jealousy works. You say these are preachers of the gospel, yes, but you know what? Paul was never jealous of their freedom. He was never jealous of their fact that they are able to preach the gospel. In fact, in Philippians 1:15 to 17, he simply said, I am delighted that somebody is preaching the gospel while I'm in chain." Beloved friends, listen. If you have bitter jealousy towards someone, you can defeat it today through the power and the authority of the Holy Spirit of God. Lord Jesus Christ will empower you to defeat it today and leave it right here. As you walk out, free man and woman, boy or girl, you can ask God to love that person through you. God can empower you to love that person to the point that you become glad for their success, even if their success works against you. Number four, Paul said, Love does not brag. You notice? Here's the step. They step by step by step by step. They're hanging on each other. When the love of Christ fills your heart and fills my heart, and you become successful, one of the easiest thing in the world is to start brag about your success, and you'll tell others about your success, and then you'll remind them again and again. (laughs) Why does Paul say, don't do it, and love does not do it? Because bragging is the flip side of jealousy. If you have a coin, one side is jealousy. The flip side is bragging. Jealousy, wanting what somebody else has. Bragging is trying to make others jealous of what we have. Jealousy puts others down. Bragging puffs us up. Listen to me. (laughs) Nobody likes a bragger, right? Except we do it, sometimes we don't know we're doing it. And the Corinthians believers were spiritual braggarts. I mean, they were show-offs. They would say, hey, look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me. That's what they were. They were braggarts. Look at me. They were vying for public attention. They were clamoring for prestigious positions. They were literally competing for the showy spiritual gifts. And Paul said, this attitude is contrary to the love of Christ. This attitude is contrary to love. Listen to what C.S. Lewis said about bragging. He called it the uttermost evil. The uttermost evil. You know why? Because it is the epitome of pride, which is the root of all sins. I have to make a confession to you. Some of you perked up for the first time, I think, since I started talking. I'm a bragger. I'm a bragger. I really am. I love to brag about Jesus. I love to brag about what Jesus did for me. And I will never stop bragging about Jesus till the day I die. And what did Jesus do? According to Philippians, here he is, equal with the Father. With the Father, he coexisted before the foundation of the universe. And yet, Paul said that he did not Find that equality with the Father, something to be grasped, something to be grabbed, something to take hold of you and never let go. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant. That's what Jesus did. That's why he deserves all the bragging. You know, Jesus had every right to brag, he had every right to boast, and yet he didn't. And beloved, I want to tell you, only the love that comes from the Lord Jesus Christ can keep us in our rightful place. Number five, Paul said love is not arrogant. You know, the one thing about arrogance is this. Arrogance is a complete lack of faith. What do I mean by this? An arrogant person is the person who does not believe, that everything he has or everything she has comes from God. The moment you begin to forget this fact, the moment you begin to think that you got to where you are because of your personality, or because of your superior intellect, or because of your hard work, or because of your negotiating skills, or because of your timing ability, or because your ability to read the market, or because of your giftedness, or because whatever, you are at the edge of arrogance. Why? Because even these things, whether it be skills, or gifts, or energy— or hard work, they all come from God to begin with. Deuteronomy said that it is God who gives you energy to create wealth. The moment you forget that your gifts, that your talents, that your blessings, that your energy all come from God, watch out, because that's when arrogance begins to set in. These Corinthians, they were boastful, and they were boasting about this and about all the gifts they've got. And Paul earlier said to them, he said, how can you boast about a gift? (laughs) How can I boast about something that is given to me, it's not mine? Somebody gave it to me. How can I be a boast about it? How can I be arrogant about it? William Carey, the founder of the modern missionary movement a little over 200 years ago, was a wonderful man of God. He thought that he needs to tell the leaders of the church that he is going to India and take the gospel to the heathens. And there was a bishop sitting there, said to him, young man, sit down, if God wants to convert the heathen, he will do it without you. But in fact, what William Carey did, he ignited a whole missionary movement. Now, those of you who think that preaching and teaching and impact for Jesus Christ can only be done through preachers, I want you to listen very, very carefully to this great man of God. He was a brilliant linguist. He translated the Bible into 34 languages and dialects. And when he left England and went to live in India, he lived in modest surroundings. But even before he went to India, he was not a deacon, he was not an elder, he was not a preacher, he was not a teacher, he was a cobbler. And so many British people lived in England at that time, and they often made fun of William Carey's low birth and menial occupation that he had back home. And one day at a party, one of those snobs came up to him and said, "Uh, Mr. Carey, I understand that you worked as a shoemaker. And William Carey said, oh, no, your lordship, I was not a shoemaker. I was a shoe repairman. (laughs) Number six, love is not rude. You know, when Christ's love is not in the heart, when Christ's love is not allowed to love through us, bragging and arrogance will set in. And when bragging and arrogance set in, rudeness is the outcome. Rudeness is the outcome. You just think everybody else is less than you are. I want you to imagine somebody, a co-worker, a neighbor or somebody to whom you've been rude all this time. And then one day you say, you hear James Saxon said, you've got to share the gospel. So you walk up to that person and said, let me tell you about Jesus. Just think about his reaction. Forget it. Seventh, love does not seek its own. Someone said, cure selfishness, and you just have replaced the Garden of Eden. And the Corinthians' motto was, what is mine is mine, and what is yours is mine too. (laughs) But you know, even secular psychologists are waking up to the fact today that it is in giving, that it is in serving, that mental health is obtained. That it is in grabbing and wanting and demanding and taking is when the health, mental health is impaired. Secular psychologists waking up to this fact that the Scripture told us years ago. Number eight, love is not easily provoked. Literally, it says, it is not easily aroused to anger. You know, the Lord Jesus Christ got angry at times. Even Paul, who wrote these words, he got angry at times. But never were they angry when somebody criticized them. They only got angry over heresies, over false teaching, over false teachers. They got angry over sin. They got angry over the dominance of sin. But they never got angry over those who criticized them, over those who persecuted them, over those who resented them, over those who even... Beat them up. I want you to hear me right. This is very, very important. You see, when God is your defender, listen to me. When God is your defender, you've got a lawyer that all the money in the world could never buy. And so ask yourself when you become angry, am I angry because somebody assaulted me? Or is it because somebody... Revile the name of Jesus. Ask yourself the question. I pray that if there's a single human being who's listening to me now, and a person is a critical person who has a critical spirit, I pray to God that you be delivered from that today. That you will hand it over to the Lord, and that he will replace it with a spirit of joy and contentment. Because men, women, listen to me. There's no use telling your spouse that you love them when you criticize them all the time. There is no use telling your children you love them when you cannot find a good thing they do and always putting them down. Put down the spirit of, the critical spirit. That's not the sacrificial love. In the old days, when I was quick on the trigger, oh, I know. I'm not, see, I'm not preaching to you. I'm only sharing my experience. In the early days, I used to be so quick on the trigger. And I used to say, well, you know, my anger just only goes for a minute and it's all over. Several decades ago, a precious brother said to me, Michael, you keep saying that your anger flurs and is down in a minute. He said, you know, so is a shotgun. It takes a few seconds, but the damage is enormous. Whew. Talk about coming under conviction. I went to the Lord on my face, and I said, Lord, whatever you do, deliver me from this. The ninth and final, the Apostle Paul said, love does not account the wrong suffered. The Greek word here is logosemai, from which we get the word logging. Now, that has nothing to do with timber. But when you log down on the ledger, Log the numbers down. That's where we get the word from the Greek origin. When you record things, why do you do them? When you put numbers, bookkeepers, accountants, when you, when you write the numbers down, why do you do it? To keep permanent records, right? So you can go back to it again and again, right? That's why you put numbers down. That's why you record them. Legosomai. That's what you do. In accounting, oh, it's very important. <laughs> I thank God for accountants. In bookkeeping, it is a must, but in relationship, never. You know, part of my prayer on a daily basis is that I don't remember, and that's not easy for me because i got good memory, except it's convenient. I use it when I feel like it, you know, like most of you. You remember things that are important to you, right? I'm I'm the same, but I remember praying many, many, many times, Lord, just somehow, Let me remember people, faces, names. I pray for that all the time. But let me not remember. Let me not remember wrong that was done by others in the past. And I will tell you, I'm here to testify to you that God not only hears that prayer, he answers that prayer. Five weeks ago, this person came in at the end of the service and came to see me. And he looked at me and I looked at him and he said, remember me? Well, it took me a few seconds because it's been years since I've seen this person. It's been years. And then he said to me, he said, you know, I came across country to ask for your forgiveness. Well, I must have looked at him and said, you know, you have to juggle my memory. As God my witness. When he began to talk, I remembered. But until he began to tell me, I really had not remembered. It's only God, not me. Because of me would remember everything. I want you to hear me right. Listen carefully. I'm coming close to an end now. Life is too short for resentment. Life is too short for keeping records. Life is too short for keeping these ledgers. Life is too short. And there may be some of you here today who would need to start burning all of those old ledgers. Some of you here today may need to destroy these old records and don't start new ones. Those old records that you've been holding onto for safekeeping deep in the recesses of your mind, give them up to Jesus. Burn them. Destroy them. Because here's the problem. These old records that you're keeping for safekeeping, they are holding you in chains. And you may be praying for something or for someone for years, and nothing is happening, and God is saying to you this very day, give up that ledger. Burn that ledger. Give up these records. Wipe them out. You know, when the Bible talks about God wipes our sins, of course, they didn't have typewriters, and they didn't have the kind of papers we have. And back then, they wrote everything on papyrus. And you know, if you write something on papyrus paper, and you take a wet sponge... And you wipe it off, you cannot even you, you can't even tell that there was something written there. And that's the picture that the Bible wants everyone that when they come to Jesus, that's what He does. He wipes the slate clean. And so should you. Some of you today may need to say, Lord Jesus Christ, you promise to love through me. And therefore, by your power, by your strength, Lord, I can't do it alone. It's impossible. By your power and by your strength, I destroy these records, and I will not start new ones. Father, it is impossible for us to comprehend in this life. Yes, we sing it, and we believe it. We read it in the Scripture that our sins, not in part, but in all, been wiped away. And yet, Lord Jesus, we hold grudges against others. Help us today. For those of us who have not received your forgiveness, that they will seek it with all their heart. And for those who have received it and yet unable to give it, I pray in the power of Jesus that your Holy Spirit will do his work among us. We'll pray this in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's LTW dot org.